Welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Chris Brown. For more information on our church, visit c3church.narara.net. a seat. So yeah, this week we're praying again and uh, seven o'clock on Tuesday night. Fantastic. Praise him. And we're going to pray at the end of the service too. Pray for anyone who needs to get right with God, maybe for the first time or as a recommitment with the Lord. And we'll pray for anyone who is sick. The power of God is here. You're going to see you healed. Awesome. You know, um, the uh, the Academy Awards, uh, did you see the, the terrible mix-up at the end? Uh, in case you hadn't, there was a, um, you know, the final award of the evening is always for the best picture. And they uh, announced the winners, the film La La Land, and the producers and directors came forward and, and they began their speeches, and then they were interrupted this, with this commotion behind them. And uh, the organisers were freaking out because it appeared that the wrong envelope had been opened. And it seemed now that they were not the winners at all. The best picture was a film called Moonlight. And so everyone on stage fumbled and, and fidgeted and froze and wondered what was going to go on. And, and then this guy, Jordan Horowitz who's the producer of La La Land, he steps forward and he grabs the envelope, grabs the microphone and he says, no, there's been a mistake and he points to the Moonlight people down there. He says, Moonlight, you guys have won. This is not a joke. And, uh, and then he, he gets them up on stage and he personally delivers the statue that he held for a moment uh, and gives it to him. and he said this, I'm going to be really proud to hand this to my friends from Moonlight, and he gives the real winner a hug on stage. Now, all this happened in front of thousands of people live, hundreds of millions of people watching from around the world on their screens, and he's gone in the space of about two minutes from nominee to winner to loser to self-appointed presenter. Uh, I think that was a pretty cool reaction. Uh, It could have been very different. He could have just, you know, stood around on the stage, stunned, doing nothing, and then, you know, slinking off, feeling sorry for himself. Or worse, he could have been like some tennis players or, you know, sports people, dare I say it, soccer players who didn't get clipped on their ankle but pretend, you know, and done some big tissy fit tantrum. Um, (laughs) But thankfully, he took it all in his stride and as a producer, he obviously thought the show must go on. I'm going to produce. And, uh, and he put his feelings to one side. And I thought that was pretty cool. Now, <clears throat> none of us... I'm just apologising about my voice in advance, unless this prayer gets better, not worse. <clears throat> Lord. Okay. All right, you want me to sign? Is anyone... You know, none of us, <clears throat> praise the Lord, 
I didn't even scream at the footy. The footy season hasn't even started. John hasn't even scored one of these many tries. I don't know what's going on. Um, none of us are going to be in that situation exactly like that. But we've all got some unexpected, unpleasant things that come up and um, we've got to figure out whether we're going to lose our cool or how we're going to react to uh, some sudden change of circumstances, especially if they're stressful. And we do have challenging things that occur to us or around us. And it can be anything from, you know, having someone cut in on you on the freeway and you're tempted to be angry about it or um, someone who says something that can cause you offence and you're tempted to take on board that offence. can be a harsh word that you, you feel hurt about and it can cause you to withdraw. It can be a, an offhand comment that someone didn't mean to upset you by, but you find yourself going over it and then you're feeling all insecure and feeling sorry for yourself. And, and then there's, you know, someone sharing about their success and you know you should feel good about it, but something in you feels jealous and envious. And then it's worse because you realise that that's bad, so now you feel guilty about feeling jealous and envious. And uh, don't tell me that's never happened to you. you know? uh, and then there's news reports, and that can create a sense of alarm and fear and worry about the future because of some goings on in the world. And then, of course, there's work, and you hear rumours about layoffs, and you immediately think, oh, no, that's me. I'm going to lose my job. And, you know, there's so many situations where, you know, they're not the best reactions to these changing of circumstances around us. And so we think, well, how should we respond? How do we deal with challenging situations or crises or, or circumstances that affront us with bad news? And, of course, one way is to be a stoic you know, like the Greek philosophers taught Stoicism, to be strong, to, to determine not to be affected by any outside influence, to train yourself to be self-controlled and, uh, and cool under pressure like Dr. Spock or, um, you know, the stiff upper lip British stiff backbone approach or, uh, you know, the Russell Maximus Crowe in Gladiator, self-made man, I'll conquer the world, all these kind of... And, and that's admirable, uh, and it's helped people endure difficult times to adopt that kind of philosophical approach. But most of us just won't keep it all together all the time. And I love um, an episode of Seinfeld where Kramer and George's dad adopt this mantra to deal with life's challenges and they start going around saying serenity now serenity now and of course at the end of the episode Kramer ends up in a bubbling little heap in the corner because he had some kids come in and trash his apartment and he's just mumbling serenity now to himself in the corner and George's dad who is known for his explosive emotional outbursts ends up ironically you know, he's had some stressful situations, so there he is, screaming at the top of his lungs, serenity now, serenity now. You know, and the irony is totally lost on him, that he's trying to proclaim this mantra of peace, but he's really lost the plot. And um, I kind of related to that, having raised four children. Um, well, six, but yeah, I mean, you lose count after a while. Um, 
you know, look, the problem is that even the most self-controlled person in the world is still lacking something because the human spirit is lacking something. We are limited on the inside. Our resources are finite. And so even if, even if you can be cool and calm and keep it together, that's not all there is to life. You're just containing yourself, but there's still something missing. You're not fulfilling your potential. You're not living your best life possible. You're not uh, content and peaceful as well as being buoyant and lively and joyful, which is going to be a blessing to other people. So we need to recognize our limitations, and then we need to find a source of assistance. And, of course, we do that at the foot of the cross because there – We are forgiven for our sins. And the door is opened for Jesus to come and live inside us by the power of the Holy Spirit and for us to communicate with this perfect heavenly Father who guides us throughout life, who blesses us, leads us, touches us. And as the Holy Spirit is living in us, he works on us and in us. And so we can address the emotional turmoil and the insecurities and and create a stable place that can face the storms of life without being thrown and tossed around too much. And so we could call this living from the inside out. And this is a series that we're just going to start today and explore as we talk about walking with the Lord, having the Lord live inside us, finding this source of strength and peace and hope and joy that is so strong no situation can can shake us out of and um and and you see uh this you know title here um you know the bible says in philippians paul says i've learned excuse me i've learned the secret of being content in every situation and that is so cool and that's something that we can explore, and that's what this is relating to. And in the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk says, uh, even though the fig tree doesn't blossom, and goes on in much, lots of other ways talking about negative circumstances, he says, yet I will still praise the Lord. And so he's got something going on on the inside, and he's living out of it. And then, of course, Jesus famously said in, well, Jesus addresses this issue so many times, but in John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. But just before that, and just after that, he says a couple of interesting things. He says, just before it, you can have peace in me. And then he says, in this world, you'll have great tribulation or many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And so he's saying, look, stuff can happen, but that doesn't have to throw you because God's got a way for us to enjoy life regardless of circumstances a way that will flow from what he's doing on the inside of us rather than us reacting to what's going on outside and around us. And if if we can discover and develop this kind of living, we're not just going to enjoy our own lives. We're going to uh, make a difference. We're going to bring glory to God. We're going to bless other people. Excuse me for a second. So we want to explore what this looks like over the next few weeks, our prayer life, our, our relationship with the Lord, our devotional life, the fruit of the Spirit, what that means, 
for that to grow on the inside, what that looks like, our calling to maturity and spiritual growth. So let's start by looking at Romans chapter 8 and uh, verse 31. Maybe it comes up on the screen. There we go. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Well, let's just stop there. That's referring to earlier verses in that chapter. And if you know Romans chapter 8, which is a wonderful, rich, incredible passage of Scripture, you'll know that it said quite a few things before that. Like he's been saying that, uh, you know, he starts by saying there's no condemnation in Christ. Goes on to talk about the sinful nature uh, being overcome if we follow the Holy Spirit. Uh, About how the Holy Spirit lives inside us. Um, it reminds us, or he should, I should say, reminds us of, of us being God's children, how we're empowered not to live as slaves of sin, but to have confidence, part of God's family, glory that's going to be revealed. Famous verse 28, everything's going to work out for good. If you love the Lord, you follow him. So that's why he says, how awesome is this? And what shall we say? If God is not, sorry, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? He did, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen, to who, who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, no one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us. And was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. Pleading or interceding for us. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? From Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, We're killed every day. We're slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. For we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Even the powers of hell cannot separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So there is our source, the love of God revealed to us through Christ. And I think you may have got the message that nothing can separate you from that love. Did you get that impression? Because it says it quite a few times in quite a few ways. It reiterates again and again the importance of us understanding God's love is available. He loves you no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going to do, no matter whether you forgive yourself, he will forgive you. No matter how bad you feel or how badly you've behaved, God loves you. And parents, you know that. Your kids are naughty. You think, oh, look what you've done. You broke this. You disobeyed me. You, you know, punched your brother in the face. You, that's naughty. You shouldn't do that. You discipline them, but you still love them. You never stop loving them. You might be angry with them. You might ground them. You might take away privileges. You might, dare I say it, use corporal punishment. 
you might smack them and and then not even feel guilty thinking you're abusing your children and you're going to be put in jail because it's in the Bible and it's okay when measured out correctly. And it's all because you love them. It's not in spite. It's because of. And so God loves us even when he disciplines us. So we've got to catch that message and realize, wow, this can change my life. It doesn't matter what someone else says. It doesn't really matter. God loves me. It doesn't matter what's going on around me. God loves me. This is stability. This is security. This is confidence, yeah? You know, you feel confident and, and strong simply because of God's love. And look at the circumstances that he talks about. And Paul had had some pretty challenging things go on. He says, look at all this stuff. None of this is going to prevent God's love from getting to you. doesn't matter whether you're hungry, destitute, in danger, persecuted, threatened with death. You know, you can make the longest list possible and nothing's going to prevent God's love from getting to you. Getting right through all those circumstances, no barrier, there's no circumstance, no situation where you won't ever be able to experience God's love. And that's, that's the source we're talking about, this source that flows from God's love into us and then from us. And that's why the Bible says in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart. You know this scripture? Let's see that. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And the traditional or even more directly accurate translation from the original Hebrew says uh, in the New King James, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. And so it's important for us to look after, to guard, to protect, to keep our heart diligently because this is where life is, in here. It's not what happens to me, it's how I respond or what comes from within. It's the real issues of life found not around me, but inside me. What Jesus is doing, the, the you know, it's, it's not this, you know, words that people say and things that people do and circumstances you find yourself in. They don't have to destabilize you or, or, or throw you off the course that you're headed in. And, uh, and, and no, neither should the circumstances be the source of peace and comfort and joy and direction uh, because circumstances can be good, but they can change just as easily and become bad. And that's how people lose their joy so quickly because they were relying on the bank balance or the number of friends or posts or likes or hits or whatever on their blog or their you know, Facebook page. And oh, now that friend doesn't like me or I've been dropped from this group. or you know, And we're too dependent sometimes on what the peripheral stuff is, what's going on around us. And deep inside us, we have the opportunity to guard our heart, to protect our heart. And, um, you know, most of us lock our front doors unless you've grown up in some friendly country town. Um, like we had a friend who lived in Sydney and she had grown up in New Zealand. And I don't know about, is he the same? Okay, so there's no criminals ever in New Zealand, apparently, because, all right, two of the New Zealanders that I know 
Uh, just don't bother locking doors, even when they come to the big smoke. So this friend was living in Sydney, and they would invariably left, leave the doors. Not the back door. You know, there's, it's, there's an Aussie thing. It's a bit weird. It's like we lock the front door, but it's okay. If no one's home, just come around the back. back door's always open. So because criminals are so stupid, they would only ever try the front door and then give up. But it's only friends that go around the back. It's like putting your keys in your shoes at the beach. Who would ever think? No way. Or on the tyre. You know, just put your keys on top of your tyre for your car. No one's ever going to think that. Oh, no, I've, I've let the secret out. Please don't tell criminals because for some reason they don't know these things. <laughs> but New Zealanders don't even do the ingenious thing of locking the front door and keeping the back door open. Apparently they just don't lock anything because everybody's, you know, they think it's Lord Howe Island or something and there's no... Because there's... Anyway. But most of us... <laughs> have locks, and we use them because we are protecting what's inside. We're aware that there's some potential intrusion that could upset things that are inside. Like when we were in Russia, it wasn't New Zealand. It was as far as you could get from New Zealand, both geographically and philosophically, if you're thinking of the security of your home. So we had a front door, and all the Russians had several locks. It was like Bugs Bunny cartoons, you know, when they lock the door a million times and ah, turn around and the bad guy's on the inside of the house. You've all seen that. And then they can't get out. So you had all the different locks. That wasn't good enough because when we were there in the early 90s, the mafia was on the rise and they were tracking foreigners. We didn't do any banking in Russia because we had heard that bank accounts were traced and bank managers were muscled to reveal the foreign accounts and then they'd track down the addresses and they'd break in and, you know, sometimes kill the people, but certainly try and get their money or pinch it via the bank account electronically. So we do all our banking outside in Finland and then bring our cash back, stuff in the kids' nappy bags, driving over the border, and, and then we'd hide it in and around the flat, little wads of cash, you know, in the piano and different places. Um, and so we had to have, you know, really good security, and you had to not speak English around the apartment, we had to look down like locals and dress down because they didn't have a lot of colourful clothes at the time, it's true. So we had to try and look Russian, which was hard because the Russians said they could pick a foreigner and after a while we realised it's true. You could pick a foreigner a mile away, not because even the features might look similar, but the countenance was different. The Russian challenges they'd had, they had a, 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 a look in their face and then you'd see someone... It's a bit too sparky, and it would be like, oh, they're a tourist. You know? And um, so you'd have to try to look tough and dour. It's true. So, But the biggest thing we had to do was put another door on because we were told this isn't good enough. It had all these locks, but it was still a timber door, so someone could just break it with a, an axe or blow it up or something. So we had a steel door that was like a safe out of a bank put on the outside of the existing door and that also had locks on it as well as, the, and so the the good thing was that we didn't ever get broken into. The bad thing was that you'd get, um, you know, outside and then realise you've left the kid's bottle inside, and oh no, you know, it'd take you five minutes to unlock. Or the worst thing ever was when our babysitter fell asleep, or in some way we couldn't contact her. We came home. And you could only 
unlock the door from the inside. So we came home and you had to knock because the steel door, you know, and Katya didn't answer. And we thought, well, she's got to be there because we went out and she came and minded the kids when we would go to Wednesday night church service or some other meeting. And uh, we knocked. Then we, we went down and found a public phone somewhere and rang. Couldn't have been a public. There weren't public phones. No, we went to her mum's place. We went to her mother's place a block away and rang and it didn't make any difference. And we thought, has she gone out? But how do you lock the door? She must be asleep. And her brother said, she's a heavy sleeper. She's fallen asleep. So her brother came with us and we're bashing on the door. God damn, we're ringing. And then her brother climbed three stories on the outside of the building, holding onto the drain pipe. And the building's building like 1842, true story. And I'm waiting for him to do the movie. You know, I think, oh, because he was smaller and lighter and local. And I'm like, man, are you sure? So he climbs up and then opens the window in the kitchen, remember? And climbs into the kitchen. And then I'd forgotten about this. Man, and anyway, and then so then he finds his sister, wakes her up, you know, and then they let us in. Anyway, why am I telling you that? Because we had a really good door. <laughs> and even that. I never told Ruth till we left Russia, but even that, someone had tried to jimmy open. She didn't notice, I don't think, but there was evidence of someone trying to get in. So, the point is, back to the Bible, um, doors are good because they provide security because you don't want the scary, crazy, criminal stuff going on on the outside to come on the inside of your home. And it's the same with our heart. There's some terrible, crazy stuff going on in the world. There's some messed up moral values and ethics and lifestyles and the media will get onto something that is totally against what God wants for you, but they'll promote it. And for some reason, it gets a lot of airplay and it's easy to just go, oh, I guess that's a thing now. That's okay, is it? No, no, read the Bible. It's not okay. And, and you sort of guard your heart so you're not just letting these values filter in or break in and take over. And so there's a, a protective uh, responsibility for us to keep what is right on the inside and keep what is wrong on the outside of our heart. And of course, we engage with the world and love people and reach out, but we have to watch what influences are trying to come in. Amen? And so is that right? Anyone? You're still awake? You're still with me? Oh, it's only 40 minutes to go. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, we're going to be diligent about, you know, what's trying to get in. And, that, and notice that Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. And so once we give our lives to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in us. God's rulership is in and there's some wonderful stuff that's going on. But we've got to be diligent to keep the good stuff going. So that's why we read the word. And we feed on the word. And we're not reading everything that the world's got to say, but what God's got to say. So we're not just keeping the bad stuff out. We're feeding on the good stuff that's coming in and and staying on the inside. So we walk with the Holy Spirit. We grow in the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible said those who are sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. So we're following him and listening to him. And there's a still small voice that's going on within us because it's quiet enough we're protected enough. We haven't got the noise from the outside world all just coming in. Now, I'll come to a close soon, but look at the picture. 
Now, sorry, go back, go to the first picture. Go to the screen. Yeah, this picture on this screen, Fiona came up with when I gave her this title. Fiona was just flying out yesterday to Africa, part of her job. Um, And I wanted to just commend her because she does a great job doing these all the time. But also she listened in geology at school because I didn't know what a geode was. Maybe they taught it, but I sure didn't listen and I have no recollection. And she said, it's a geode. I went, oh, a geode. No, no, Pastor, you've mispronounced it. Geode, okay. And so a geode, in case you didn't listen in geology, um, is this wonderful uh, thing that's found in the ground, formed in the ground, created in hollows in the ground in either trees or little soil patches with a hollow and then over time, even in uh, volcanic rock, there's bubbles, you know, where there's been air bubbles and dissolved minerals over time seep into these hollows and they harden on the outside into an outer shell. But on the inside, the minerals continue to form and they form quartz or amethyst or some other minerals that often produce these beautiful displays Uh, that are quite stunning on the inside. And there's an example of one that's cracked open. And then just show us those other photos. Thanks, Kath. Look at that. On the outside, it looks like it's nothing, but then this beautiful crystal-like kind of form. And then another one shows the outside. And there it's a geode. And it's like, oh, yeah, a rock. But if you bust it open, look at the next one. That's one of the many kinds of formations and beautiful creations that can occur and I thought that is so cool no two are ever the same they're all unique they're found all over the world and I think it's a great analogy of God's people because people are also completely unique found all over the world and often with wonderful stuff going on the inside potential and beauty and wonders but on the outside you wouldn't know They might take time to develop too. A long time sometimes to see that potential. It's a picture of the Holy Spirit working on us. And unfortunately, we don't often see it because we only see the outside. And that's what, you know, God spoke to Samuel when he went to anoint David as king. And he looked at all the brothers and said, well, you know, if it's not one of them, God, I don't know who it could be. And and God says, look, Man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And he chose the little chap, David, because it didn't matter so much what was going on the outside. And, of course, what we've got to develop is for us, as we live from the inside out, to also see what's on the inside, not just what's on the outside in other people. Because like God, we need to look at the heart and we can learn to see precious people loved by God, even failed and failed. Lord, failing, you know, um, but waiting to become children of God with great potential. And, uh, and you know, that's really our, our culture as a church that we always want to build welcome home to anyone and everyone, regardless of what they look like on the outside. We don't care about their ethnic background or their, you know, bank account or the clothes they wear or your hairstyle or your you know, you're a hipster or an uncool, nerdy dresser or, you know, we're just not interested in that. We we don't ever want to get 
locked in. I refuse to say that we are targeting a certain demographic or we're after this kind of market or style of person because I don't think that's God's heart. We just want to reach everyone and anyone, regardless of all those peripheral things, even their coffee preference. It really doesn't matter. And so, you know, um, and, and let me say this when we finish. There's a lot of things that are much better on the inside than you expected. You know, they say, you know, appearances can be deceiving or don't judge a book by its cover. How many books have you read where you look at the cover, it's nothing, you know, and then you see these amazing revelation truths that some Christian writer is revealing or a novel that comes to life and you're discovering all these characters and this gripping plot, but you look at it from a distance, just a book sitting there all by itself. And so that's so true uh, in human life too, yeah, that there's uh, some wonderful stuff on the inside. Uh, And so we need to be able to see that in others. Let me finish with a quote from Bob Gass, who writes the word for today. Excuse me. And he quotes Jesus from Luke 21 when Jesus said, by your patience, possess your souls. This is along the lines of having some control of the insides. And he said the word souls there refers to our emotions. He says this, Jesus is saying, take control of your emotions. Show a Christ-like attitude. Your ability to handle delays, disappointments and detours will determine your level of joy and peace. When you discover that you cannot control what's going on around you, then decide to control what's going on within you. Uh, Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit C3Church. Dot Narara, dot Narara.